welcome to the Author Wheel Podcast, where we believe there's no single right way to produce, publish, or promote your work. Only what's right for you. In every episode, we'll talk about common writing roadblocks and how to overcome them so you can keep your stories rolling. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Author Wheel Podcast. Today, we are incredibly excited to have Paul Austin. Oh, I didn't ask the pronunciation. Is it Arduin? Arduan. 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 Sorry. (laughs) Paul Austin Arduan, um, who is the USA Today bestselling indie author of the Fenway Stevenson Mysteries and the Woodhead and Becker Mysteries. He holds a BA in creative writing from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and an MBA in marketing from the University of Phoenix. His articles have been published in Indie Author Magazine and European Communications, and he's been a guest on several writing podcasts, including Kobo Writing Life, Stark Reflections, and the bestseller experiment Deep Dive. So welcome, Paul. We're excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much. You know, I think your education is like the perfect education for an indie author because you've got the creative writing, the writing, that whole piece, which is so important, and then marketing. So I'm super excited to dive into this conversation and learn from you, Paul. Terrific. So Paul, why don't you uh, give us a little bit more information about yourself and how you got into writing? I mean, obviously you were, you had the the educational background for it, but um, what brought you into self-publishing and how you got to where you are today? Well, sure. So ever since I was a little kid, I have kind of considered myself a novelist. When I remember being six years old and and writing uh, little snippets of novels, getting bored with that, and then planning out a 12-book series with uh, original art for the cover. <laughs> and I even... Uh, I even reviewed my own books and, and said, you know, the New York Times says fantastic read, uh, that, that kind of thing. And uh, so ever, ever since I was, I was a kid, in, uh, in fifth grade, a friend in, uh, of mine and I uh, wrote a, uh, a, a series called The Gadget Club about these precocious 12-year-olds who all had these gadgets. It's like a car that could turn into a submarine or a, a fighter jet, a little fighter jet. Then they would go fight international crime. Um, (laughs) I I wrote choose your own adventures when, uh, when I was in junior high school and it seemed, you know, really natural to major in creative writing when I went to university of California, uh, for my undergrad degree. Uh, but as when I, when I graduated and, and, uh, and after I wrote the first hundred pages of, of a novel for my senior thesis, and of course, you know, in the university format, everything is literary fiction. Uh, they turn up their nose at genre fiction. Um, it, I, I didn't really go anywhere with it. I uh, I started a, a, a day job that became a technology marketing career. Uh, and uh, I dabbled in short stories here and there, got something published in an anthology once or twice. But uh, what seemed like, you know, two weeks passed. And then I was 40 years old and I hadn't written a novel. And that little pesky six-year-old inside of me was like, I thought you were going to write a novel by now. Um, and so... Uh, I had a uh, I had an idea, and actually, my my wife uh, was uh, was thinking about going into nursing, was looking at careers, and said, "Did you know that if I got a nursing degree, I could be a county coroner in the state of California?" And suddenly, I was like, "I know what I'm going to write my novel about." 
uh, a, a nurse who becomes a county coroner. Um, and with that, I posted on Facebook, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo this year. For those of you who don't know, that's the 50,000 words in the month of November where you, you start and hopefully finish your novel. Uh, and I'm going to do that. Well, I wrote the first chapter and then the next day I didn't write anything else. And the next day I didn't write anything else. And then I was 41 and I still hadn't written a novel. Um, so, uh, about seven years later, Facebook, uh, helpfully served me up the on this day message. Uh, you probably all seen those before. Hey, on this day, five years ago, you were camping at the blah, blah, blah. Well, it said on this day, five years ago, you told everyone that you were going to write a book on <laughs> Rhino. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> even I thought, Facebook. You know, even Facebook. And to Facebook. So I thought to myself, you know, I, I, I am, I'm, I'm 45 now and, and I really need to, to write this book. Um, what am I going to do differently this time where I actually finish it instead of write a thousand words and then shove it in a drawer? And, and I thought to myself, you know what, instead of, you know, looking at everything the morning after and deciding it's no good or, or rewriting it, I'm just going to write it straight through. I might, you know, pick up the next couple of, of paragraphs from the day before and, and write that and, you know, use it as a sort of a prompt to continue writing. But I'm just not going to stop. And if I get to a point where I did with my first novel back in, in college, where I'm like, wow, this is terrible. I'm not going to stop re stop writing it. Even though it's terrible, I'm going to finish that terrible novel. Um, and that's the promise I made to myself. And uh, so I actually wrote and I, I actually found a writing group. I was living in Sacramento at the time. They had a very active uh, NaNoWriMo group um, back in the before times, um, before 2020 and the pandemic. Um, and and I got about, uh, about 55,000 words in right at the end of November. And I realized I had made a big mistake in the novel. The character wasn't interesting. Uh, it was whiny. I didn't think anybody would like her. Uh, and before, that would have really just destroyed my confidence. I would have set the novel aside, and I would have whined how I'm never going to finish a novel. But I remembered that promise that I made to myself and that little pesky six-year-old inside of me. And I thought, no, I'm going to finish this. I mean, it's terrible, but I'm going to finish this. And so I did. Um, I, I, I wrote, obviously, more than 50,000 50, words by the end of November. I uh, finished the book in mid in mid December. It was about eighty three thousand words, and I tell you that sense of accomplishment I had was better than almost anything that I've done. Certainly, anything that I've done professionally um, that that I've had. And I and I took a look at it. and I'm like, you know, I could switch this from first person to third person, and my main character would seem a lot less whiny. And so that's what I did. And it was really painful because you know, for every time you have to change it from I rolled my eyes to Fenway rolled her eyes. Then you read it again and you see, you know, 20 instances of Fenway rolled my eyes. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I went through it. I, uh, I had a friend who had, had done self-publishing of her memoir style uh, book that was fantastic. She turned me on to the creative pen and um, uh, Mark Dawson's self-publishing formula and uh, a, a few books, uh, David Gogren's uh, books and and uh, and Joanna Penn's books, of course. And I decided to start self-publishing uh, that. I had some themes in the book that I thought were fairly timely, and I didn't want to go through 
the two years of, of querying and finding a publisher and, you know, two years, if you're lucky, um, finding an, uh, an agent and a publisher for, for that. And I decided to, to go ahead and self-publish. Um, and so on a little over five years ago, uh, The Reluctant Coroner, which is the first book in, the, in the, the, what became the Fenway Stevenson series, uh, came out. Well, that's wow. great. You know that there's there's just so many really important things that you said in that story, and I uh, have to say that whole thing about finishing it. You know, it's kind of like if you were going to run a race, and I know you know experienced runners they have their splits, they know where they're supposed to be by this mile marker or that mile marker. But your first race, you just got to finish the dang thing, and and. I think it's like that. And and you learn so much in the process of getting from the be- the beginning to the end that there's no other way to learn. You can't just keep rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting the very first chapter and section, you know? So I think that was just, that was really, really brilliant. Um, another thought that I had just listening to you, and then we will move on to more questions, but is that I write a one of my series is a uh, hair hairstylist who becomes a mortician so i so think oh. that we need to re- i need to read your book so we could be a good cross promotion but i i love the concept i mean anything that has we should to do, do a newsletter swap oh we totally should anything that has to do with forensics and cutting up dead bodies i am so there so <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent i yeah. hope the fbi isn't listening Yes. And now everybody who's, who's <laughs> listening to this right now needs to go and look at a picture of Greta because that statement does not <laughs> correspond. Yes. To her. Oh, you would you would be surprised. I mean, you know, you go to enough book conferences and you see, you know, the most innocent looking people who are like, I write alien tentacle erotica. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I know. Whoa, whoa. I know. I know. It's I, that's one of the things I love about the author community, actually, because I feel like we are through our books able to sort of step outside expectations. You know, that um, I I look like a soccer mom and I write carnivorous pixies, right? I mean, it's like I, we have I so much a, more going on inside than what we look. I like. met a very sweet grandma at a rom- I think she was a grandma at a romance writers thing who writes T Rex sex. So yes, everybody <laughs> does all kind of things. Yeah, it's so it was, wonderful. I know it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. So. Um, that is such a great story. So how many uh, books in the Fenway Stevenson series do you have out now? I have, uh, I have eight novels and two novellas in the, in the series and two, I guess they're called novelettes. They're about uh, 9,000. Um, so the others, uh, and, and, and I actually uh, have collected them and I sell the whole collection on, on my website. I don't sell it on anything else because I want to drive direct, but, that's marketing story. So that's a yeah, that's another, and, and we will totally get to marketing. Yeah. So yes. so that's the Fenway Stevenson mysteries, but you also have the Woodhead right. and Becker. So how many total books have you actually written? Uh gosh, I mean, I, I've got um, I've got collections of the first three Fenways and the second three Fenways. Um, I know I've used uh, forty nine ISBNs uh, between my uh, novels and my print books and and everything like that. I think that comes out to about 15 novels and, um, and, uh, uh, novellas. Okay. 
Well, so then, I mean, obviously with that much experience, you know, behind you, you have to have other than, you know, facing your internal editor and that first um, finishing your novel, um, you have to have faced some roadblocks in your career. So give us an example. What's one of the biggest roadblocks you've you've overcome during, you know, your writing process? Uh, I think one of, and I, I think it's a very common roadblock that a lot of uh, writers early in their career face. And that's, um, you know, I, I've had, I had one or two novels out. And of course, you tell yourself that, you know, you're not going to be the next Paula Hawkins. And um, yes, I understand that's not a, a reasonable expectation to have that my debut novel will fly off the shelves and become a New, uh, a New York Times bestselling. And I'm not going to get a three picture deal from uh, from Universal or, or anything like that. But there's still that little part of you that, that hopes that. And then you publish your book and your friends and family read it and then nobody else reads it. And you're like, how can I get, how can I get some sales here? Um, and, and that's where, where I was. I had gone into KU and that didn't really work for me and I had published wide. And it was working a little better for me, but still, you know, not nowhere near the kind of money that I was was hoping to make. Um, and so the, that first step of marketing was was really the challenge um, for me. And what what I would recommend for for lots of, of of other authors, and of course every every author's journey is different. So what works worked for me might not work for you. Um, but I signed up with with Book Funnel, and this was actually just before Story Origin started to take off. Uh, but then I signed up for Story Origin as well. I had two books at the time. I had kept them both on sale in the stores. And because I was a white author, I, I could do this. I gave that first one away in exchange for an email address uh, to, my, to the book funnel community. Um, and of course, there are you know, some, some pretty stringent rules and recommendations that you have to follow when you go into those, those book funnel promotions. Uh, but I did that. And I went from you know, having my mom, uh, her cousin, and her dog on my mailing list to having <laughs> 1,600 um, newsletter subscribers within six weeks. And of course, that means, well, now that I have 1,600 newsletter subscribers, I actually have to write a newsletter. Uh, and then, you know, writing it and figuring out, do I want it to go out every week, every month, bi-weekly? What do I want to do here? That was, you know, that was a challenge, but that wasn't nearly as big as that first hump of how can I get this this book in, in my in my readers' hands and find appropriate readers for, for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, book funnel, um, in order for you to collect, um, uh, collect emails is a hundred dollars a year, which is, you know, $8 and 70, 67 cents a month or whatever I majored in creative writing, not now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it was really important to, even though it was a pretty small investment, it was really important to do that, to get, to get over that first hump. And then there's a second hump of the newsletter, but that becomes so much more manual, uh, uh, manageable once you've had an early win, like like that book funnel promo the promotions that I that I uh, was at. Yeah, yeah, I I love book funnel. They are they are one of the the few companies as like within my author business that when I get the bill every month because I I do the monthly. I probably should switch it over to annual. Yeah, I was just I've been doing monthly that. since when I first signed up, they didn't have the annual and I've just never changed it because I don't even think about it. Like there yeah. is no question. That is the one bill that I never regret paying that I never go. Oh, I wonder if there's something cheaper or different that I could use or better because 
they're they are absolutely wonderful full featured so book funnel yes go for it (laughs) yes book funnel if you're listening you should totally uh become an advertiser on our show just thought i put that plug in (laughs) but you know well, I was going to say one of the things that, the things that's great about BookFunnel is that as you get further and further in your author business, they have other things that match where you are in the mm-hmm. business. So when you're ready to do audiobooks, you can download, you can upload your audiobooks there and fulfill them through your author store via BookFunnel. Now, that's not something somebody just starting out should even worry about. But, you know, there comes a point in your author career where you don't have to worry about how many people you have in your mailing list. You need to worry about how you're going to get your books into your readers' hands. And 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 I, that's one reason why I'm a big, big book funnel fan, too. Yeah. I think Damon Courtney should come on the show and he should also give you a whole bunch of money. Yeah, I should probably email him. Actually, I actually do know him. So I should probably, but he's been like, I'm kind of nervous. I'm like, oh. but yeah, no, I should. And I will. Yes, but we will, we will get him in on. the future. Yeah. yeah. I will say too, another, um, I don't know why we're, we're spreading so much love on book funnel at the moment, but, um, but I will say too, one of the other features that I find so beneficial for early career authors is the arc feature. So if you, mm-hmm. if you do the advanced reader, um, you can send it out to your readers, to your beta readers, you can do it with watermarks and other things to help keep it secure and manage that whole process. And it allows you to do what we always talk about, which is take things one step at a time. So you start, you upload your book, you get it up there, you know, you start uh, sharing it, collecting emails, then you can start using it for beta readers, getting more reviews. You can use it for all these different things, but you've taken it one step at a time and it really does progress with you. And it sounds like that's very much kind of how you've been able to progress your career as well. Just one step at a time, finish it first, then get now, keep going. You know, <laughs> I do have to say, and this is one of the things that that some early authors in particular don't like about the book funnel is when you go in there and you sign up for you know your first promo, there are categories that you have to choose. Where is is my book? And um, and I recently released a, a a book called From Zero to Four Figures, Making a Thousand Dollars a Month Self Publishing Fiction. And this is one of the things that I talk about quite a bit in the first section, where I talk about delivering satisfying books to your readers. Um, a lot of early authors don't aren't real good at categorizing their books or at writing in one particular genre. They're like, okay, well, if you took a space opera and a romantic suspense book, and then you have elves and swords in there, that's what my book is. And then they come to book funnel and they're like, I don't know where to put this. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the reason why book funnel has that. And the reason why, uh, why every e-retailer in the world has these book categories is because customers who are coming to the website are looking for something to read and they know the types of books that they like so they're not going to look for the genres that they don't like they're going to, if they're in the mood for a mystery they're going to click on mystery if they're in the mood for um, a billionaire romance they're going to search for a billionaire romance and so uh when 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 book funnel has these categories and when new authors can't find where they go in the categories Sometimes they blame book funnel when really the the idea of being a successful author and of finding an audience is to actually write books that appeal. Not only do they appeal to that audience, but that they meet the reader's expectations 
who are looking for the kinds of books that you are writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, if, it's difficult if nobody's looking for the kind of book that you write, it's difficult to sell. Not that, you know, there are people who have been very successful doing it. Um, Sean Inman comes to mind, for example, with his Middle Falls time travel series. It's a completely different kind of time travel series from any series that either, because it's all interpersonal growth. Like this, this person lives a, lives an unsatisfying life. They die and then they wake up and they're back at some point in their past where they have to make decisions that change what they do. And then they die again and they find themselves back, you know, there. That's a weird time travel um, uh, trope. I mean, it's non-existent in any other time travel book. And he's successful. And so a lot of early authors look at him and go, well, he's done it. And that's, you know, that splits 12 different categories. I can do it too. And I'm going to say that, you know, Sean Inman and the other authors who do that kind of thing are the exception that proved the rule. I mean, I know indie authors who write books with terrible grammatical errors and they're bestsellers, but I wouldn't recommend that you don't proofread your book before you you post it. Again, they're the exception that proved prove the rule. And there's like a 99.99% chance that you, as a, an author starting out, are not going to be any exception that, that proves any rule. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's why it's part of the foundations. And I think it's such a hard thing for new writers to learn, but one of the foundations of creating, if you want a sustainable author career to create that sustainable author career, you have to understand genre. You can break the rules, but you have to understand the rules first so that you know what you're breaking and why. Um, so that's something that keeps coming up and up and up in all of our conversations these days. I think that that also is interesting, too, that you do have a degree in creative writing because we were talking to Gabriela Pereira uh, recently, and she has a DIY MFA. And the whole idea that most people get when they get into the college creative writing programs and DIY or they don't have DIY at college, MFA programs, um, is like you said, it's literary. It's very turn up your nose at genre. So I think a lot of people who come out of that world into writing, that they stumble on that quite a bit because the reality is that may be true if you want to win a big book award, but um, it's not necessarily true if you want to sell a lot of books. And, and interestingly, some of the the books that have won big book awards that, you know, did hit New York Times bestseller list and everything. Um, I read an article where companies like Amazon can see how many, those books maybe sold a lot when they won the award, but how many pages do people actually read? Very few of those books are actually finished. People don't read them. They just buy them so they can say, well, yes, I bought the Pulitzer, whatever, you know. So it just, that's something to think about. What do you want to, do you know? And indie, as an indie author, you are not going to sell literary. Oh, I shouldn't say that. You do have the chances of selling literary fiction and making a good living from liter- literary fiction as an indie author about the same chances as you have of getting struck by lightning. That's so it could happen, but very unlikely, I think. So, well, and, and I, I get into um, 
I get into a little bit of, of this as, as well. So first of all, I had a creative writing professor. So I went to UC Santa Barbara and, you know, Sue Grafton's A is for Alibi series, the, the, the Kinsey Milhelm series. Um, one of my favorite series ever, but I didn't read it until very late because I had a creative writing professor at UC Santa Barbara who hated, hated, hated that series. And I took his words to heart and I avoided um, that. I mean, and it's set in a fictional Santa Barbara uh, and, you know, 25 books and millions and millions of copies later, very successful. And then I, I read A is for Alibi and I was like, my professor told me not to read this. This is brilliant. Yeah. And I real, I mean, I was a, a big reader, well, since I was six years old, Encyclopedia Brown and the Two Minute Mysteries. I read a ton of Agatha Christie in junior high school. And then I, I went on to uh, uh, to to read others as well. And coming back to Sue Grafton when I was was almost forty was a revelation. I was like, I don't want to write literary fiction. I want to write what I've loved since I was a little kid, which is mystery stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not murder mysteries when I was six years old, but uh, well, thankfully. But, you know, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so th- I think that's very, very important. And another thing I think that's important for for any indie author to realize is that when when readers are looking for what books to buy, and I think we all do this. Yes, there's a big stack of uh, of our you know DNR on the on the nightstand, right? But um, uh, but we're, sometimes we look at that and we're like, I'm not in the mood for that. What do I want to read right now? And you know the sense of dread that comes up. I mean, it's not like huge existential dread or anything like that, but you're like, I don't have anything to read. What am I going to do? And you know, you're going to go into a bookstore or you're going to go into a virtual bookstore and you're going to spend a bunch of time going, does that one look good? I don't know. Let me read the blurb. Does that one look good? The cover looks good. Let me read. Uh, I don't know. This one, well, maybe this is good. And then when you find what you like, the one thing that you think you like, and you read it and you like it, if it's book number one in a three book or five book or nine book or 20 book series, that sense of dread vanishes because you know what you're going to read next. You're going to read book two in that series because you loved book one. And I think, you know, I've, I've talked to a bunch of indie authors who are like, I don't like reading series and I don't like writing in series and I'm not going to do it. And that's fine. If, if uh, th- that's fine, but I think people, when they're planning their career, they need to go into their marketing plans and, and their, their author business plans, knowing that there isn't, they, they don't have that easy, what book am I going to read next thing happen with their readers? Yes. Hey, what did such and such author, uh, what was the next book that they put out? Because uh, I like this one. But there isn't that same, well, I've got to read the next book in the series. If, if, you're, if you're writing, if you've got two standalones instead of two books in a series, the chances that your readers follow you to the other standalone is lower than, than going to the series. So, you know, again, every author's journey is different. And I'm sure there are authors who are listening to this podcast who are like, I write standalones and I do fine. And that's great. Um, but for, for people who are starting out, it is so much easier to get readers to follow you if you write books and series. And I will say too, just to kind of go off of that point a little bit, sometimes you have to think outside the box or or think creatively about how you are marketing your books. So if you are writing 
standalone novels, link them, right? So that you have a series, but they're all different characters, maybe different conflict, um, but maybe they're all set in the same town, or maybe they are all set in the same family or have something that ties them together because now that's your marketing. So you can still creatively do the thing that you want to do, which is to write standalones, completely whole stories in a single book, but then you have the marketing back to create a quote unquote series that will lead readers through. Um, so another, another kind of just trying to, trying to, sometimes I worry about talking too much about writing to market because creatively for me, I know that sometimes that can stifle me if I'm trying too hard to hit specific triggers or specific tropes. But if I can have the bigger picture in mind as I'm creatively writing the story, then I can find ways to market it after the fact. So it still hits those notes and those topics. And that that yeah. kind of, that one quick thing, that kind of series that you just mentioned is really common in romance because, you know, in romance, you have to have this happily ever after and you can't have the same protagonist having a different person every book it would be kind of creepy um so you know that is a common way that it's done there i did that with my seven deadly sins series because it's psychological suspense and you can't have a real estate agent bumping into dead bodies every month so you know but like but writing in a series and thinking of a way to link your books i think is really that's really brilliant because if you want to ease your path a little bit, the marketing piece is a very difficult piece. So, and so we do need to hear more about your book because personally, I would like to know how did you get? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, how so, did you go there? So, uh, so I wrote the the Fenway Stevenson, um, the first Fenway Stevenson novel I wrote. I wasn't, you know, I had just finished one book. I got my inner six year old shut up with the whole, okay, now I'm a novelist thing. And people liked it enough where I'm like, well, maybe I'll write a second. One. And then I wrote a third and, um, and I kept going. And, um, I took that, that, that first book that I had, had written. Um, and I realized, and I, I talk about this in from zero to four figures that, um, that I had to stop treating it like the precious baby novel mm -hmm. that I wrote that, took eight years of my life and the the whole Facebook on this day stuff. And, you know, it, it's a it's a funny story, but nobody cares that it took me eight years. My readers don't care that it took, took me eight years to write. And it, I, I have to stop treating it like 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 the precious. Right. I have to start thinking of it as uh, what I call my entry point novel. That's the book that I want everyone to read to have an introduction to my work, to my catalog. Um, now, I happen to write in, in a series that really, you know, the events of book one affect book two, that affect book three and so forth. So you really need to read my series in order. Um, you can maybe start in book three, but really it's much more satisfying to, to go one through eight. Now, people who have connected standalones, they can have different entry point novels. Um, uh, talking about romance uh, books. Uh, the author Aaron Wright has a, a series uh, called uh, "Oh, their uh, the Long Valley." Long Valley, yeah, the Long Valley yeah. series. Yeah, and and each of those focus on focuses on a different couple, uh, as uh, as you said, Greta. Um, and she can use 
any one of those books as an entry point into her catalog, which is great. I mean, I wish I could uh, promote more than one book in in my Fenway series, because I think that would give me a lot more opportunities to go out there and, and get the word out and connect people to my my books. Uh, people who have connected standalones can do that with any of the seven books in their series uh, or or however many that, that they have. And I think that's I, I, that that can only serve to grow that author's audience. That's a very good point. And, and you're making me feel better about having one series that's connected standalones because <laughs> I do feel like it's harder to market, but it's traditional. So I don't have a lot of opportunity to market it either except for through things like book funnel. So that is, yeah, yeah. book funnel is, is amazing. So tell us then, was there a, a point at which you said, I'm sick of making a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there. I am going to turn my brilliant marketing experience to now market my books. And what was your, what did well, you try first? And what was your big revelation? And all of that. My uh, my day job is in technology marketing, and I I sell uh, big software uh, bundles to enormous uh, enterprise companies, and so there's not there there's a lot of stuff in there that that I've learned that doesn't apply to marketing four ninety nine ebooks to the world at large. Um, yeah. So I had to unlearn a lot of what I what I had learned uh, already. But one of the things that, that I learned was that this entry point novel that, that I have, um, you know, at, at my work, we do a lot with with demos and um, and and 30 day trials. And uh, you, we've all gone to Costco or uh, the equivalent store in, in your country um, where they have, uh, hey, would you like to try uh, this cup of mango smoothie? Hey, would you like to try uh, this toothpick, the uh, toothpick with sausage on it. Hey, would you like to try this pizza roll? Um, and there are a lot of freebie seekers out there who, you know, go to Costco for lunch to grab all the, the free snacks. But there are also a lot of people who try that pizza snack and go, these are good. I'm going to get the bag. And that's what, what they do. And so having a mindset where you take, where you're moving from the precious, first novel you have to making that your entry point novel. I actually uh, advocate for treating that entry point novel like an advertisement that you uh, that you have. This is what's going to get people to buy the rest of your stuff. Now, whether you sell that that entry point novel for $2.99 or $0.99 cents, or you give it away free and do the free first in series uh, marketing like I do, um, that's going to be different for, for every author. Some genres are uh, are much more in tune with free first in series or 99 cent or 299 stuff than others. Um, and experimentation is your friend here. You want to, you want to do as much stuff as you can until something works. Uh, but there is a reason why free first in series is still very popular with a lot of authors, myself included. And it's, it's because you get that free first in series novel in front of a large group of readers and there's going to be a, a certain percentage. 3%, 5%, if you're really good, 10% of those people who download that free first in series who are going to buy a book too. And then about 
in my experience, about two-thirds of those people will buy book three, and then about 90% of those people buy the rest of the series. And so that can be really lucrative. And when I came out with book five in my fan series, that's what I did. I dropped that first book to free, and I was like, I think I'm only going to run this for a week because I don't, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. I don't want to give away my precious for free. Um, and then, like the first two days, ten thousand people downloaded it, and I had I had people buy. I had about uh, I had about four people buy every single book in the series and pre-order book six. And I was like, oh, oh, that's why people do this. <laughs> and, and, and I've literally had that ever ever since. And about a month later, I, I got a, a book club featured deal um, in crime fiction, which was super expensive, but super worth it. And I, I, haven't, I haven't looked back since. Now, I don't think... I, I was making $1,000 a month before that book club featured deal. Um, but I think that having that mindset of, oh, I'm not going to treat this book like my precious. Oh, I've got, I've got four other books in the series. They're all well, uh, well reviewed. I did my due diligence on, um, on making it a satisfying read. I hired another, I hired a different editor than I had originally gone with to make the first third of my novel really shine. Um, and you know, let, let those, especially those first seven chapters, those were the first seven chapters I'd ever, you know, really written as an author. And so I was very emotionally attached to them and mostly had to change. Um, but, but treating that as my entry point novel, as my pizza roll that I'm giving away at Costco, I mean, people, I mean, the first day I had people buy four bags of the pizza rolls. And throughout the next month, I had... I had hundreds of sales on those on those bags of of pizza rolls, um, and I've never looked back since. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a different mindset to look at your catalog holistically rather than as each individual book being precious, as as you put it. I think that's where the math works out. And you know, if you're if you're a math person, because if you look at your catalog as a whole, then you want to say, okay, well, each customer that comes in and tries my my sample pizza roll is potentially worth, you know, four ninety nine times 0.7 times however many books you have, right? Like all of a sudden that's a different equation than saying, well, I, I need them to pay four ninety nine, right? It's, that's a huge, a hugely different number. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's something that I know a lot of authors struggle with, including myself in the early days. And it's hard when you only have a couple books. But if you're looking again at the long-term sustainable author career, what you're trying to do is build a fandom, build an audience, right? So even if you only have one or two books, and maybe you can't make the first book perma-free at first, but running free promotions to build that list, giving it away on book funnel or having a short story lead magnet that you can give away for free as your pizza roll sample. Um to draw people into your ecosystem to try things out because unfortunately the, the reality is people don't want to necessarily trust a, an unknown author unless they can read the entire book and know that they're going to be satisfied. I, and I so, think that's, I think that's so important. I, I also, I maybe be an unpopular opinion, especially with people who advocate for reader magnets, but I really think that, you know, people who buy books, people who buy novels, don't usually buy novellas. 
don't usually buy collections of short stories. If you're going to have a reader magnet and you want to sell novels, make that reader magnet a novel. Make it your first novel. Make it your entry point novel uh, for that. I, I know that there are people who are uh, successful with reader magnets, um, and that's great. Um, I am I'm happy for them to prove me wrong on, on this. It did not work for me, and it does not work for for quite a few authors that I know. I, I do think that that first uh, that that first that reader magnet that first taste has to be a full novel. I think a reader magnet can be used not so much as an entry point, but as a continuing point uh, to get somebody from a book onto your website. Like I have um, at the back of all my Mortician series, I have a link because between books one and two, my main character decides to go to mortuary school. So you want to find out what happened at mortuary school. And it's, you know, pretty meaty novella. It's about half the length of a regular book. It's about twenty-five to 30,000 words. And that, if if I do a sale or something on book one and I get a bunch of new readers, I will get a lot of signups to my website from that. Because, you know, it's, a, it's sort of like a, here's a present to come onto my mailing list and continue our adventures together more than it is a buy something else from me. It's it's the How, deleted scenes. It's the extras from the DVD mm-hmm. that you bought, right? Like it's kind of the same the same concept there. But I, so I I agree with you. I think tempting people with a short story or something like that when they've not read anything from you, when they're not part of your ecosystem at all, they've never read one of your books, is is tricky and it doesn't always work that well. I think you're right, a whole a full-length novel. And what's weird is that, for instance, my novella, it doesn't, it's not um, published on Amazon or anywhere else. You can only get it from my website. And yet some readers have decided to put it up on to Goodreads. And... I get a very broad, like normally my reviews are in, in a certain place and a good place, but that one has a little bit lower reviews. And it is because you can just tell by those lower reviews is that they wanted a novel. It's like, this doesn't go far enough. It doesn't give me enough. It's like, that's because it's a novella, but I don't say it. I just think it, but it's, <laughs> but you're right because novel readers like novels. That's what, yeah. That's what they like. So it it can serve its purpose, but I, I think you're right to really actually tempt people in some to a series. Often you have to get them in with the first book, either on a killer sale or a freebie. Yeah. And, and I, you know, if you go to my website, austinardwan.com, um, you'll see immediately it'll say, do you want a short story? a Fenway short story. And it's the novel between, it's the short story between novel one and novel two. And it requires a sign up for that. And, but I, I don't, that's not what I rely on for newsletter signups like that. And anybody can go to my author store or to Amazon or Kobo or Barnes and Noble or Apple or any, any place and get my first novel for free. And that's what I use when, when I promote, um, you know, I, 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 I'm running a free book seat today, in fact, uh, to, to that, that first novel, The Reluctant Coroner, uh, in hopes that, you know, that, that five to hopefully 10% of, of everyone who downloads that will buy book two. 
Um, and yes, if they go onto my website and they want that free short story, they get on my mailing list and then they'll know when Fenwick 9 comes out, uh, which is fantastic. But uh, that's not what I rely on to drive uh, to drive sales. Right. I would, mm-hmm. I think that's very wise. So tell me, Paul, do you have, uh, do you have your books in audio now? Uh, I have the, the first uh, two plus that uh, novelette uh, is, is in audio of my Fenway series. Um, I just received the files for, uh, for book three from my narrator. Um, and then my, my nonfiction, um, uh, the, from, from zero to four figures is available um, I know it's available on Kobo and on my author store, and um, I have submitted it to Find a Way and ACX. So hopefully, by the time your listeners uh, hear this, it will be available everywhere. So, how do you tackle um, the marketing of your uh, your fiction audio in particular? Do you do you so give I that away? Yeah. So I right now I don't. Um, well, okay, so there are, there are a few things. First of all, I don't have enough books available in audio to market it yet. I'm going to wait until at least four books are available, um, which is going to be which is going to be a while because um, narration is is not super fast. Um, uh, secondly, you don't set your own um, prices on on ACX or um, or most of the other stores. Uh, you you have a, a a price you can suggest to find a way, but the stores don't have to take it. Um, you can uh, set your price on Kobo if you uh, upload directly to Kobo, and obviously you can set your own price on your own web author website, um, and you can promote that. Now there are some um, some promotional uh, newsletters, sort of like Free Booksy, but for for audio. One of them is called Chirp. Um, where that is just an audio uh, promotion, uh, audiobook promotion newsletter, and the expectations are that they, those are all paid audiobooks because uh, there's there's very little in the way of of um, of, of free stuff uh, when it comes to that. Now, I know a couple of authors who have put their first uh, audiobook up on YouTube, so they drive people there for the free version and then they have links to here or all the other places you can buy books two through book 11 of this series um i have other friends who have put all of their books on youtube and they're uh they're driving a thousand people to their uh to be fans of theirs so youtube will then monetize it and they will get uh youtube advertising uh money um, there are, there are, again, every author's journey is different and what works for one person, particularly in audio, isn't going to work for, for everyone. Um, what I am going to do is, uh, when I have, uh, four, four books in the audio series, I'm going to start promoting it on Chirp. And also, um, you know, the Amazon link has, you know, ebook print audio there. So it's, it's right. not like you're not promoting the audio book with a free booksy or a, uh, a fussy librarian or, or a bargain booksy or, or whatever you choose to do. Right. Yeah. That's good. Good wisdom there. All right. Well, uh, Greta, do you have any final questions here? I think we're kind of coming up on the, the hour at the end. I feel like I could just keep picking Paul's brain for a very, very long time, but I, you know, 
that's just what I guess be we're going to have to we're going to have to buy the book. I mean, really, <laughs> is what it comes down to. <laughs> I know. So why don't I guess you, so? Here, here's my here's my little final question. So tell us what motivated you, prompted you to write from zero to four figures, and um, you know because. You're doing well with your fiction. So why jump off into the nonfiction? What prompted you to write that? And is there anything else you want to tell us about that book um, that we haven't touched on? Sure. So um, so what prompted me to write it is that I was, um, my second series, the Woodhead and Becker series, um, what did not did not come out of the gate as the Woodhead and Becker series. It came out as a completely different title with it with, completely different book titles, completely different covers, and it failed. Um, and I went into why it failed. And it was, it was, I was not meeting my reader expectations with the cover or the blurb or the title or, uh, or the series title, uh, for, for any of that. And so I wound up, um, recovering everything. And then I realized I needed to retitle everything, which meant I needed to recover everything again. And, um, so, uh, I actually went on a Sisters in Crime um, meeting, um, uh, uh, South Carolina chapter, and I talked about how I did this because uh, a lot of people think that Amazon won't let you do it and you can do it if you buy your own ISBNs and I did this whole story. And then somebody's like, you know, you should really put this in a book. <laughs> and uh, and I said, well, you know, there's a whole story that goes behind it and then, then there's this marketing thing. And she's like, yeah, you should put all of that into a book. Um, and so I started talking to my editor, uh, and, and he was like, yeah, you do a lot of stuff that not, not a lot of other people do. I talked to a couple of other writing groups I was in and they said, yeah, you know, a lot of books are out there, but they either focus on the marketing and they're like, here's how to sell so many books that you can buy a yacht or a Caribbean Island. Um, but there isn't anybody's like, Hey, here's how you get off the ground. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's because writers, you know, writers who are a part of this nonfiction book, maybe they don't think they'll sell anything unless they're like, here's how to get rich. Um, but I know for me, when I was starting out, that's all I could find. Um, and I was buying books that I had no business buying at that early point in my career. And as I'm looking around, there really wasn't, a, there weren't really weren't any books out there that focused on a, a, a writer who had one or two books out and who had five people on their mailing list. Um, it was, it was all about thinking big and, and, um, stuffing keywords into your Amazon thing and, and blowing everything out of the water with, with one or two books. And here's how you can be a millionaire in six months. And that's not, that's not, that's not reasonable to that might sell writing books, but I don't think that's reasonable. I, and I, I really thought that if people followed what I did, aside from all the mistakes I made, like the Woodhead and Becker series and, there's a romance series that I wrote under a pen name that um, you can read all about the fiasco that was and why that didn't work in in uh, from zero to four figures. Um, it without those uh, without those side trips down failure lane. Uh, there, if people uh, could see what I did that worked, uh, I, I really think you can get from from zero to four figures every month uh, of profit um, in eighteen months to two years. And, you know, I, I love that because it is, that is an actionable, realistic um, process. Like, like you said, there's just so many books that promise the sun, the moon, and the stars, and then you feel like a failure. 
because you're not you're not able to achieve the sun, the moon, and the stars. And but most people just want to keep that balloon up in the air. They just don't want it to keep clunking down on the ground, you know. And uh, if you get, a, I would think, once you get a steady ish thousand dollars a month, say profit, then it wouldn't be that hard to take that and figure out a way to maybe double it or maybe triple it. You know, like you're learning the basics first and then, which is what we are always preaching, right? And then taking the next steps to, to make that a greater number down the road. But I like, I just, yes, I'm going to buy your book. That's some babbling because I really like your philosophy is very good there, Paul. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with you. And actually it really fits with what Megan and I are trying to do with the author wheel too, because a lot of what we, we talk about with people is um, the, the, the beginning which is where the place where people don't even know the questions that they need to be asking a lot of the time and hearing other people's stories and really like, okay, everybody listening to me, Paul made the mistakes. You don't have to, which is what Megan and I say about us. We made yeah. these mistakes. You don't have to. So no. you'll probably make your own mistakes. Yep. Absolutely. We all make mistakes and there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. That's how we learn. Um, but, but you know, we definitely agree with you, Paul, that there, there seems to be a gap in that, what I call the transition point between the hobbyist writer who is, you know, messing around with writing a story sometimes and gets a few pages in and then quits, right? To the person, there's a there's a gap between that stage and then the sustainable author career. And I always, I, I like to really emphasize the sustainable piece mm. of author career as well. Because if, you know, for people like me, we don't want to just write, one or two books and make a million dollars. Like that'd be amazing. But <laughs> number one, it's not very realistic. Um, but number two, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I need to do it in a way that has growth and that has a foundation that I can sustain over the long haul and really be a marathon runner instead of a sprinter. Right. Um, something that's not going to burn you out. Yeah. And so that transition point though, between that hobbyist to the you know, I've got two or three books out and I finally figured out what I'm doing. And then to the like, okay, now I've got it. Like I've got a career, I'm building that you can optimize. There's a, there's a gap in there that I think this book, um, I mean, I haven't read it, but it sounds like it really it fills yes. that niche and I, and I like it. So, so I will be picking it up as well. I, I was certainly hoping to fill that niche. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a needed, it's a needed set of information. Um, and again, like that's, that's our whole mission at the author wheel is to help, help fill that gap and make sure that people find the information that they need when they need it at the right time so that they're not trying to work on Facebook ads when they haven't even finished their first book. Right. Yes. And, right. and that's something that I, I did. I was trying to do the Facebook ads and I hadn't finished my first book yet. I, so, you know, you don't know what you don't know when you're starting this out. Hopefully, if people read my book at, at the start of their careers, they will know what they don't know. And they'll they'll have a good uh, the good sense of of some good steps to take um, mm -hmm. when they have their next book out. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's amazing. It's 
it's what I what I love about this conversation and and um, your approach, Paul, is that it's not the magic bullet, and I think that is what you know a lot of us fell prey to. I think a lot of people in the early days of indie publishing, when it was the gold rush and you could put up just about anything and make a gajillion dollars. And then those people are writing books about, look how I made a gajillion dollars. And then other people now years later are trying that. And it's not working at all because you have a ton of competition now on Kindle and so on. Everybody was looking for that magic bullet. And now the industry, I think the indie industry has matured enough so that we're all sitting down and going, okay, let's back up the truck. No magic bullets. Let's just learn some really wise, but good practice. I won't say best practices because I think that that's a misnomer. There's, there's best for you may not be best for me, but there are definitely good practices and bad practices. And it sounds like this book is filled with a lot of good ones. So why don't you tell people where they can find out more about you and more about From Zero to Four Figures and your fiction and all of that, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, everything that I do can be found at www.paulaustinardwan.com. That's A-R-D-O-I-N.com. You can also find From Zero to Four Figures at Books to Read. That's the number two read.com slash from zero to four figures. Uh, and you can find the first book in my Fenway series at books to read.com slash Fenway one F E N W A Y the number one. That is great. And we will have all of those links in the show notes. So thanks everybody for listening in. I'm sure today has given you a lot to think about, but if you would like even more to think about, don't forget to go to authorwheel.com backslash stuff and pick up some of our free stuff. And one of the things that we are really getting fabulous feedback on right now, which you can get for free on our website is the our new email course, which is seven days to your author brand. You'll get one step a day to writing an author mission statement and being able and learning to turn that mission statement into a tagline. So go pick it up at authorwheel.com backslash stuff. And meanwhile, keep your stories rolling. Are you an aspiring author? Stop by www.authorwheel.com slash stuff to download the top five writing roadblocks aspiring authors must overcome. Thank you for listening to the Author Wheel Podcast, hosted by Greta Boris and Megan Haskell, edited by Jim Wilborn.